Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast uh, here with another morning episode edition. We will always thank our friends in New Iberia, Louisiana, Louisiana hot sauce, three simple ingredients, one fantastic product, and might I suggest as a uh, perhaps the ultimate stocking stuffer. So if you are looking to uh, fill some things or some nice little uh, cheap but thoughtful gifts, uh, quality hot sauce is always the way to go. Bud got a lot of stuff to talk about. Got some transfers, have some uh, roster moves that have taken place since last time we talked. Uh, but Tark, excuse me, we will start our talk this morning at the quarterback position. Both a uh, prospect that's transferring uh, from within the state and then a uh, high school prospect that appears to be narrowing his decisions down. Yeah, so uh, opening here, Mackenzie Milton, a former all-world quarterback for UCF who had a devastating uh, knee injury. What was that, 2018, I believe, uh, at, in their final game at USF, uh, in UCF's game against USF. He has you know, worked his way back to health, apparently, and uh, there was some chatter that he might be able to play in the game against UC, or USF over the weekend, and uh, Milton uh, has elected to uh, to transfer from UCF. Obviously, I don't think that they're going to play him over Dylan Gabriel, who has turned out to be a pretty darn good quarterback for the Knights. Uh, but with him jumping in the portal and with this portal season being pretty hot and heavy already, uh, we are seeing a lot of schools uh, show some interest in him. And there's a lot of questions around this one because nobody, nobody's seen McKenzie Milton play in two years. Uh, if if you get the McKenzie Milton that you got two years ago, health-wise, there's no doubt that every, almost every team in the country would be interested. But UCF didn't play him against USF, and we don't know how healthy he is, how good he still is. I mean, that was a, a devastating leg injury. There was some initial thought that he he might lose his leg, right? <laughs> this was some serious business. Uh, but a couple things here. Number one, uh, I reached out to some UCF sources, and they told me that uh, they actually thought he was healthy enough to play in the game, uh, but that they really couldn't live with themselves if they played him in his final game at UCF because they knew he was going to transfer uh, and he then, then he got hurt. So they're not real worried about, about his health. Uh, number two, uh, I know that there are a number of schools that are at the very least kicking the tires uh, on Mackenzie Milton. And one of those schools is in fact, Florida state. So I, I can confirm FSU uh, is certainly interested in finding out what Mackenzie Milton is all about uh, other schools that I think, might have some interest, or at least he might have some interest in uh, TCU, LSU, uh, Miami. I know Michigan State has inquired, uh, and, and a couple, couple other schools as well. So uh, it's still in the pl- preliminary process here. I, I don't think that this is one of these situations where the kid is 100% sure of where he's going to go and is, is going to announce his, commi- you know, his, his commitment tomorrow or today. Like a lot of times, these um, – these these kids do when they jump at the transfer portal. It's oftentimes not quite as as open of a process as as you might think. Uh, but here, I, I think he's really going to be feeling out feeling out his options. Um, and FSU is is certainly interested in, in finding out more. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's good for us to speaking as as the Nolcaster as a broader fan base to know that there's been uh, you know contact there and legitimate interest. Doesn't mean that Florida State's leading. Uh, for Milton services or whatever else. I, I think that <clears throat> speaking broadly as a general fan base that Florida state has set itself up for disappointment, just because we see these kids enter the portal all the time. Florida state fans think they're going to either get them or be seriously involved in them. And then two days later, they announce somewhere else. Uh, this appears to be a little bit of a different situation, both in the fact that there, there is contact there, there is some level of interest. And that, as you mentioned, this is not one of these predetermined things to where, uh, inner portal on Tuesday announce that they're going to XYZ school on Thursday or whatever. So uh, we'll see here. Obviously Milton is a, is a name that uh, an awful lot of people will be familiar with. Florida state is uh, going to be searching for a, uh, or in my opinion, they will be searching uh, for a quarterback uh, that they can bring in. And uh, Milton would, would obviously be at the top of the heap there. A uh, couple other things from some UCF people. Number one, uh, I was told that he uh, does not want to play up north, which is important because the guy who recruited him 
to UCF, Scott Frost uh, is now at Nebraska, and Nebraska could certainly use a, a quarterback. Uh, number two, uh, I was told that he would like to go play somewhere with a good offensive line and they could win a national championship. Oh, okay. Which well, is a little bit of a problem. Check that box. Yeah. yeah. Um, and when I asked, I was like, well, you know, what do you think of the Florida State interest? And my guy said, I get the connection since Norvell was at Memphis. McKenzie would have seen him. But they're kind of a dumpster fire right now, right? That offensive line is not good, and they have two young quarterbacks. Was his response. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what they're recruiting against. It, it also brings up a broader question, if, if you want to get into this. Does Florida State have to take a transfer quarterback this year, or do you think that they are interested in this one because of who it is? I don't think they have to. I think they'd like to. I think they'd like to get somebody that is of a uh, – of serviceable quality and Milton if healthy is, is obviously miles past that. But uh, yeah, I do think they like, <clears throat> I don't think those two young quarterbacks that were just referenced in that, uh, that rather honest text are necessarily who you want your only options to be entering into 2021. That's, that's fair. I, I, I can agree with that. Um, well, look, we've seen Purdy uh, and I'm not, I'm not trying to, knock a kid but Purdy's potentially going to have some injury issues maybe uh we'll see he's a little bit undersized certainly seems to play with a lot of aggression that could lend itself to some repeated issues uh Rotomaker I think ultimately is going to be a decent quarterback but we haven't seen anything from him on the field that would lead you to be comfortable with him playing quarterback uh as your lone option so uh yeah maybe it's from the high school maybe you feel like you get a quality prospect that if you can get them in early enough, then you can have three legit options. Um, but if you're not bringing in a kid that you can bring in early, I think you have to bring in a, a, a quarterback otherwise. Yeah. I, I think they would like to, to get to four on the roster for, for the season. Um, I don't think they have any real plans to bring in a high school quarterback right now, given that they, they did just sign two in the prior class and eligibility wise, Yes, those guys are you know technically going to be freshmen again uh, next season, but I, I think they would like to carry four on the roster. And if they may bring in a transfer quarterback, like even if it's a grad transfer type quarterback, who is just going to serve as a backup if they if they weren't going to get a guy like like a Milton or, or somebody who is legitimately going to press for the starting job, they they might just go and bring in somebody just literally for depth purposes, if, if they feel like that's important enough, you know, to, to use one of the, one of their spots uh, that they're going to have in this class. And those spots are going to be precious. Certainly there, there are a lot of other positions that they have to, uh, they have to get addressed in this recruiting slash, um, you know, new player transfer class. So um, that's something we'll talk about later on in the show. we got a couple questions about how, how scholarship numbers work and we'll, we'll certainly talk about that. Uh, but yeah, I, I think, it wouldn't shock me if they take a transfer, but I, I'm not 100% sold that they that they will do so immediate, immediately if they don't get milk, right? Like, I, I don't think that they're sitting there thinking, okay, we got to get a transfer in uh, for, for spring ball, or we got to get – like, they a lot of times transfers are going to happen after spring ball when, when schools realize – or when, when, rather when kids realize, hey, I'm, I'm done with, with, with the spring at my current school and I'm not going to start here. Let me see if there are some better options elsewhere. All right. So yeah. I would just say sit tight. Yeah, I agree. Uh, certainly with that. I also think that, you know, Milton won't be the only quarterback prospect that pops up on the radar. It uh, may not be as long as, as till spring. It's just guys are going to make decisions. Obviously what we've gone through over the last eight or nine months is unprecedented. Um, they'll, there'll continue to be names in the, in the proverbial hopper. Uh, so it's um, also, I mean, quarterback is a position where transfers work out more frequently than other positions per my research. And I think the reason is because quarterback is very difficult position to evaluate uh, overall, but also based off practice, whereas other positions have more to do with bigger, faster, stronger. Right. And those positions typically like you're not going to get superstars at other positions through the portal occasionally you can get a superstar at quarterback in the portal. And sometimes it's like, yeah, this guy's obviously a known, known quantity, 
but sometimes it's not. Sometimes you get some of these, these portal quarterbacks who turn out to be really, really good for you. Like look at what Malik Willis is doing at Liberty, right? What one man's trash is another man's treasure. He didn't sniff the field at Auburn. And, and now he's, he's killing it for Hugh Freeze up at Liberty and granted Liberty plays a, you know, kind of a JV schedule in large part, but uh, they, they put more points on. Uh, Done well against the ACC this year. Uh, yeah, they did. Absolutely. Um, a blocked field goal away from going undefeated in the conference. So uh, from, uh, from a transfer to, to the high school ranks, maybe. Yeah. Also a transfer in his own right. But uh, yeah, Jake Garcia is somebody actually that we've talked a couple times about this on this podcast more as a, um, relation to our old dear friend Rush Propes, but uh, Jake Garcia is uh, has decommitted from USC officially, a kid who uh, found himself in Valdosta for a couple weeks and then bounced up to uh, Metro Atlanta powerhouse Grayson after uh, having some eligibility concerns with the uh, legendary program down there in South Georgia. But uh, quality quarterback, I know that he's somebody that I've looked at a couple times, but I've you know, if it wasn't going to be USC, I guess in the back of my mind, I thought it would probably be Miami. Uh, Bud, you can tell me kind of where, in your opinion, Jake Garcia stands at this point after officially decommitting from USC. Yeah, so M- Miami's been on Garcia for a long time. Uh, I, I don't – I'm not aware of any uh, serious interest in Florida State from Jake Garcia. Nobody's mentioned to, to me from FSU's program that they have a legitimate shot there. So I, I would say that is – I know we got a couple questions through the Patreon messenger uh, about that, but I, guys, I'm not aware of any of that. Um, and I think, I mean, typically if they were on a quarterback. I, I would, I would know about it. Uh, so I'm sure FSU will reach out and, 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 uh, and see, but like Miami has been on him for, for quite a while. So I, I would just, I don't think we need to spend a whole lot of time on this one based on it right now. Like he's a high school quarterback uh, FSU. I, I, I can tell you this. FSU was in a tough spot with Altmaier because they did have such a good relationship with him. Um, and obviously they, they knew they were in a fight, but FSU does not have the cachet right now to be recruiting multiple quarterbacks at one time. If you risk pushing off the, the, the better kid that you have. Right. So like they, they couldn't be hardcore recruiting another kid and have word get out because then I think Altmaier probably would have bounced. And it's not like a scared of competition thing. It's just being able to count. And I know you went to high school in Mississippi, but like you would have four, you know, four kids in basically one class uh, at, at that point because Rodemaker and uh, and Purdy get that for a year. Uh, so yeah, that, that's that's what I have on the Jake Garcia thing. Figured we just put that up at the top of the show because it's it's kind of recent. Um, we also got a couple questions about how scholarships work. Um, I actually wrote up a post on Knowles Twenty Four Seven on this as well, uh, but I'll I'll just quickly explain this. Um, all right. So the roster limit overall is 85. The incoming player limit is 25. Those are the two, those are the two rules that you have to play within. This year, it's a little bit different. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's slightly different this year because any current seniors on your roster who want to come back do not count against your 85. Florida State has a couple of those guys, like a you know Baby on Johnson, d- dudes like that, who we expect will probably come back. Um, obviously, they'd love to have like Janarius Robinson and Josh Kando back. So those guys will not count against your eighty-five. Florida State is not going to have an issue with the eighty-five rule. What it is going to be bumping up against is the twenty-five rule. You only get twenty-five new players, and that includes transfers and recruits combined. So it's not hey, you get twenty-five high schoolers plus all the transfers that you can fit in your shopping cart. That, that's, that's not how this works. It's, it's 25 total. Plus, which whatever room you have left over from the prior year's class. And I know this gets complicated, but basically I'm just going to simplify it for you. Florida State thinks it can take 26 total, meaning they have one spot from last year's class. So they, they can take up to 26 new scholarship players for next year's roster. That, that's how many guys they can add on. That's high schoolers plus recruits total. Not including walk-ons, obviously, because I said scholarship players. Uh, but, yeah, that's that's what it is. Um, I hope that that's simple. That's just the NCAA rule. That, and, yes, by the way, that does include grad transfers. Graduate transfers do count against your cap. I know there's some kind of you know weird thing that going around that says that they, they don't. That's, that's not true. Uh, additionally, there is no waiver 
right? People have asked me about a waiver. What about a waiver? No, there's no waiver on the 25. This is just an NCAA rule. You don't get a waiver. Otherwise, Kansas would have been filing for waivers every single year because they they have been fighting, you know, to get back to like 70 scholarship guys for years uh, on, on their total roster. And ultimately, this the, the rule is the way it is to do two things. Number one, to prevent you from oversigning like crazy. Like this is largely a response to some of the stuff that some schools um, like Ole Miss signed 40 something guys one year. Mm-hmm. Right. And then obviously like, that's just not, if you look at the math of that, that's, that's not a great setup. Um, it's obviously going to be a problem for your student athletes because a, a number of them are going to have to get cut. And it also inspires you to run a program which keeps your athletes happy and wants them like, like make them want to stay in town. Um, so yeah, I just figured I'd lead off with that. You got anything more on that or you want to get into this, uh, this mailbag? No, man. I mean, I know there's been some, some, uh, maybe some general misinformation out there about that. It's not, I don't know, maybe one of those topic matters that's made more, more complicated, uh, depending on how many voices you listen to or, or how you try to figure that out. But, uh, we got a bunch of questions, uh, some new questions, still had some questions from, uh, earlier in the week that we didn't get a chance to get to. So why don't we go ahead and jump into those um, Caleb asks us our first question. He says, with the recent David Hale, Andrea Adelson article, plus numerous other podcasts and articles, the downsall, the downslide of Florida State football has been well documented. One of the reasons uh, documented was the administration, quote unquote. Other than the issue of the administration being willing, unwilling to invest money in the football program, what specifically are the problems, both current and past, attributed to this administration? How would a good, supportive administration assist the program to dig their way out of subpar performances. I'll let you lead off with this one. Um, I, I, I also don't think that the administration is uh, unwilling to invest money in the football program. I think there are some uh, levels of bureaucracy there that are complicating things at times. And I think you have some people in administration who are, um, I will say just from talking to the three previous coaching staffs, either incompetent or just very disliked and they're just, they've been there for a long time and they're not going anywhere right now. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let you take it from there. <laughs> so I think real quickly before I jump into this, that as a general fan base, Florida state needs to be, uh, or I would suggest that there's both a understanding and appreciation for how much this athletic department has done in 40 years with the resources that it's actually had at its disposal. Uh, It is amazing what Florida state has accomplished compared to peers who are much older, have had much uh, more assets and resources to throw at athletics. Having said that, um, you know, I think you can be critical or, note some things that could be done better. Uh, like right now, if, uh, let me let me say this. I think the lesson learned from the last five years has been that it's better to give resources to the current coach than start paying buyouts and give everybody any opportunity they, they can to succeed in place. And this is an athletic department from a football standpoint that desperately needs stability and consistency uh, from the football program. So, I would expect that hopefully, uh, you know, coaches would have a little bit more support in what they're trying to do. Um, if there's positions that open up, uh, you know, maybe you don't argue with people and, and you uh, allow them to be paid, not necessarily the highest, uh, you know, tight ends coach in America or whatever it may be, uh, but representative of one of the better choices out there. So, um, you know, the, the, the problems that the football program has had have been well-documented. If you want to go back and listen to the uh, quote unquote instant reaction podcast that I did about this. Uh, well, I did it about the Clemson game kind of as a joke and then did about 35 minutes tied to this article. Uh, you can go back and listen to that. Uh, but yeah, I think moving forward, expect administration to try to do all that it can to be supportive of the people that it has in place uh, to build them up, allow them to have the consistency. Uh, obviously, that is learned by the failed experience or the failed experiment that they've had in the football program over the last three years. Um, but also, you can look at you can look at the basketball program. Took Leonard Hamilton 
long time to find some traction there. Um, and there was support. There was, uh, you know, he's, he's kept a lot of his assistance that he's had. And ultimately they've turned into, you know, maybe one of the four best programs in the country. I'm not saying that it automatically happens, uh, but I do expect the administration to be a lot more supportive of existing coaches trying to make their staffs better moving forward. Um, totally agree. By the way, I did get a funny story uh, last night, actually, from somebody who worked in recruiting uh, at the time during that final year that they were allegedly still recruiting. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah two and a half uh, hours a day, but Yeah, meetings, right. So prospect came on campus and uh, fairly important prospect that the coach had wanted this person to make sure they got on campus. Well, the prospect gets there, and I think the prospect's a little bit late, if I recall what, what I was told. And the coach has on his running gear and says, we'll just make him wait. I'm going for a run. I'll be back in an hour. I hadn't and, heard this story before. That's funny. Yeah, I, I hadn't either. Um, just, yeah. That was, I was like, huh. Could have really used this three or four years ago. Yeah, just but. camp out in the lobby for a while. I'll be back. <laughs> smelling like a rose, I'm sure. So uh, then so, the person yeah. had to go back out there and, and uh, tell the kid that they were going to do the campus tour first. Right. Yeah. 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 So, even though he'd already been on one. Um, all right. So let's take, uh, let's take Clayton's question. Uh, Alt, Altmeyer or Purdy knowing what, you know, we, we, we've, we've kind of had this before, I, I think, but just I, did we, last podcast or two podcasts ago, I, th I think we discussed this, but I'll, I'll, I'll answer it again. Um, I've never seen Altmeyer in person because of the, the COVID stuff. I think his film is is pretty impressive. He he gets rid of the ball quickly. I don't know the arm is 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 huge, um, and he's obviously not you know not not that big of a guy. Uh, I think Purdy was pretty impressive as well, and, and certainly somebody who had a big time senior year, and a lot of prospects or a lot of schools wanted in on him. Uh, I'm not going to tell you it's, it's Chubba Purdy just because Chubb is on it, but she's roster and and Altmeyer's not. Um, honestly, guys, I think they are similar similar grades of prospect right like they're not no doubt superstars but there there is clearly something there um, I, I, I hope that doesn't sound like a cop-out answer but I don't see a huge difference in terms of, of talent between the two I, I think Altmeyer has probably a better motion a little bit better stroke than, than what Purdy has coming out of high school I think Purdy is uh, more athletic as far as how, how he runs around than, than Altmeyer is. Altmeyer gets rid of the ball faster, in my opinion. His release is is quicker. And I think Purdy's arm is probably bigger, but I'd, I'd like to see them throw the ball, you know, side by side in the camp setting to really, you know, really tell you that. that the, uh, the recruiting process and the evaluation process here has been tough because we really didn't have camps uh, with the exception of the, of the couple that we had in March and very late February uh, before the shutdown. So, um, let me see. Uh, Teddy wants to know, since FSU is likely going to miss on top targets from high school, Altmeyer, Malone, uh, Mackie Knoll, who LSU is uh, um, is flirting pretty hard with, with chemo right now, the offensive line commit from Niceville. Uh, why, is the, why is there optimism we attract talent in the transfer portal? Well, this is a, this is a good question. Uh, and I, I, I think it's, Oh, sorry. He, he continues. It doesn't make sense that, that we could get talented guys in the portal if we can't get talented guys out of high school. Am I missing something? Uh, a, a little bit, yeah. Um, so I think if you if you alter the question to read, why is there optimism we attract top talent in the transfer portal? Then I would tell you there's not any, right? But FSU is not going to get top talent in the transfer portal. FSU needs to fill some holes on its roster accumulate competitive depth guys who you know want want to be want to be somewhere and and want to actually work hard and and create a functioning football culture that that's what they can go and get through, through the transfer portal they can get some guys whose upside is merely competency in the transfer portal and normally that's not something you would want to go get if you're Florida State but given where this roster is right now and given where this program is right now uh, it, it allows you like the the level of player that can help Florida State currently is lower than what it normally would be 
and that allows you to have more options in the portal, uh, you know, because your standards are lowered at least temporarily here. Uh, I don't have any optimism, optimism that they are going to go out and get top talent in the transfer portal, but I definitely think they can get guys who can help their football team. Like is Devontae Love Taylor a top talent? No. Right. I mean, is, is Jerry and Jones, is Fabian Lovett a, a, a top talent? I, I mean, Lovett, I think you could probably argue so, but you know, Jerry and Jones, not really. They're, they're guys who, who can help your team. Try to think uh, like Deshaun Corbin. Is no, he I a, mean, was, a top well, talent? That's not necessarily transfer portal. Never mind. I was going to throw out the example of Webb, but uh, yeah. Sure. But like, like, you know, Webb is, is still, a, he's a Juco transfer, um, which I, I know they're, they're still looking at. So yeah, I don't have any, I don't have any optimism. They're going to get top talent in the transfer portal. Uh, there, there's not any signs that this thing is, is going to be a quick turnaround. Like there were obvious signs that Miami was actually a you know, pretty good team last year, just had some really bad breaks and, and one position was holding them back pretty hard. That, that's not the case here. Uh, and FSU doesn't have you know quite the success with transfer history like some of these schools do. But I think they can absolutely get, you know, some quality players or some at least decent players to come in and, and help their team be better next year. Brandon asks, uh, <clears throat> with the news of Sarah Fuller at Vandy, here's a hypothetical. Would there be any strategy to finding the best female soccer player or place kicker and offering a full football scholarship to balance the male-female offers at Florida State or any other school? It could be at a high school or a walk-on scenario, I assume. Uh, would it be disadvantaged? Would it be disadvantageous to spend the limited time that the special teams get to do this? I'm not sure how Title IX fits in or the perception how such a move would be received, but with Florida State women's soccer having one of the best programs in the nation, it gave me pause. I, I think this is genius, right? I mean, isn't it? Uh, I'm trying to think. Why would we not? So any <clears throat> any player that plays football has to automatically have their scholarship counted towards football. Well, so we, is that the case if you're if you're a female in a female sport? Well, I don't know that it's ever been done before. I know That's it's the I'm case saying. if you're a male and you try to bring them in on track scholarship. So right. yeah, uh, you know it may take the NCAA a, a year or two to to adjust <laughs> adjust things that have never otherwise been thrown at it. But no, man, I, I think this is a uh, you know there's there's some interesting leeway to work with here. Now, obviously, um, <clears throat> excuse me, she would have to have the talent to actually play at that level. Um, Sarah Fuller's got a, a pretty big leg. I, I, I would, you know, I'll watch some of her, some of her soccer clips. Uh, and yet they did have her squib kick in that game. So I've never seen her execute like, like a, you know, a, a deep kickoff or you know, kick an actual field goal because Vanderbilt's offense is so bad. <laughs> That it didn't even get into field goal range, uh, which is, you know, a problem uh, for for that school. Look, if if you knew that you had a a female kicker who could go play women's soccer for FSU and still be a, a kicker on on the football team, and she was actually a good kicker, hell yeah, you'd do it because you you would get a free scholarship spot, assuming that that you wouldn't have to allocate that scholarship to football, and every one of those is precious. So, uh. Man, like if you could do it, sure. I just, I don't know enough about kicking and I don't want to talk out of my rear end to say that like, yes, this is very doable uh, as far as talent wise or, or no, it's not. Um, I don't know. You, you, you watch soccer. It, it, are there any, like, it's pretty well, well established. Like WNBA players would get smoked by NBA players. Are there any female soccer players who could play in, 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 in like competitive men's? It's pretty um, rare, right? Not necessarily, but I don't necessarily know that you would need that skill trait either if you wanted to be a kicker. I mean, certainly America's uh, in large parts of Title IX has been the kind of the torchbearer when it comes to women's soccer for the last 25 years or so. And there's tons of great options. Uh, like Mia Hamm may be the best female player ever. I don't know that she necessarily would be a kicker. Um, but a lot of these, <clears throat> like Fuller's a goalkeeper, that's where I would expect you'd probably find, uh, potentially, you'd find somebody that uh, that would play. But like, you know, the uh, 
Uh, she's married to a Philadelphia Eagles prospect. I think her name's uh, Julie. Well, this isn't good radio because I'm forgetting her name. But there's a couple players on the women's national team that could probably – Julie Ertz. I'd be interested. They'd probably be somebody that if, uh, you know, they would be like 45 yards and, and under, I would imagine. I, I'm not sure I've seen a leg on a female that's going to be, you know, blasting a, a 52-yard field goal or something like that. At least not as of yet. Got it. Okay. Uh, well – so uh, got to take a quick, quick pause here to thank the folks at Legendary Home Loans team at Resolution. Guys, awesome work from the Legendary team. 844-FSU-LOAN. I think we're creeping up on, on 120, by the way. Uh, home loans and refis by, Ch- by, by Chad and Shannon. Just all, all, awesome work from those dudes. Knowledge of the industry, customer service. If you call them, you get to commiserate a little bit <laughs> with, uh, with, with, with the status of, of, of the current program. And they, 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 they live and die with every snap just like y'all do. Uh, but it, it's not just the Knowles talk. It, it's the professionalism and the experience and, and the great rates you can get. So 844-FSU loan, at least give them a chance to, to make you their best offer. Uh, I, I do want to throw in one here that, that we got asked about a lot uh, on Twitter. And that's, uh, hey, are you guys hearing the rumors that uh, that the, the boosters are, are getting the money together to to buy out uh, at Adam Fuller? And, and, and they're, they're calling around to boosters to see if they can get the money together. And I just want to just say, Guys, this is not how this works, okay? Might a booster or two get called if you were going to buy out a head coach and you had to pay like a $15 million buyout? Yeah. A, it's just kind of a courtesy thing. And B, they might say, hey, like, like we, need to, we need to make sure we can count on you, you know, for financial support going forward and, and you know, we're going to make this decision. You know, want to make sure you're on board with it, and we have continued support from you. If you're going to buy out a defensive coordinator for 800K, that's not a booster decision. Boosters are not getting called and saying, "Hey, can you help me out to to make this thing?" Like that's just not how this works. It's not that I'm not saying Florida State is super flush with cash, but 800K is not is not something that you need to make calls for. If if you and the, if you as the head coach and the administration want to do it, you just do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's just not something that, I, I don't know, based on my experience, based on my reporting, based on, on, on the boosters, you know, like any of your booster buddies get a call and say, hey, man, can you help chip in to, to, for 800K to buy out of DC? No, there's there's sometimes where you can parse out rumors pretty quickly. I, I remember way back in the day, uh, like there was a rumor when Mark Stoops was ultimately hired uh, that Florida State was, was trying to sign Kirby Smart. Yeah, they probably were. Uh but that there were rumors around that you know they were calling boosters for uh, fifteen or twenty k a piece to put together a package for Kirby Smart. That's just not how it happens. Uh, you don't you don't have to clobber something like that together. Um, and kind of as you mentioned there, if you are looking to make a move uh, on a on a coordinator or evaluating what your options are, um, you're certainly not going to call enough boosters to where, you know, there's a critical mass to where people start finding out about it. I'll put it that way. Yeah. That's, that's just really not, not a thing. All right. Uh, so John L writes, Hey guys, first time email or long time listener here with the dead period moving to mid April. Do you see many programs pushing their springs back a few weeks to get the 20 class of 2022 recruits on campus to see some practices? Also, do you see many high level 21 recruits waiting beyond signing day to sign on hopes that campus visits open up when the vaccine is readily available. Um, I have not heard of any schools moving their spring back yet, um, but it's it's something that I think if it will only happen if the schools reasonably believe that the dead period is not going to get extended again to you know like June or or, or May ish, because you don't want to make this move when people are already making plans around you know, the, the spring only to find out that the dead period is just going to get extended. And I'm not saying this is not by it's saying the dead period is going to get extended. I'm saying, I don't think schools will make that move until they are you know, fairly sure that the dead period won't get extended. As far as the second question. And by the way, I think if, if FSU is sure of that, they should move their spring back as far as they can to, to get kids on campus and to establish some of these relationships. Uh, Second part of his question, as far as the high-level 21 recruits waiting beyond signing day, honestly, I, I think most of them are, are not going to wait beyond signing day. Uh, I would be pretty surprised because that, that would be waiting quite a long time 
Signing day is the first Wednesday in February. And currently the dead period runs through April. So you'd have to wait basically three additional months. And, and I, I seriously doubt that's going to happen. And it's on spec anyway. Um, it's on now, a lot of spec. It's on I a think lot some of, spec of these kids a... might wait past early signing, early signing period. Yeah. I don't see a whole lot of things being waited. Like the vaccine is, uh, first of all, you got to look at the priority to which it's going to be distributed. Uh, many of our listeners will be way down on that list when it comes to age and immediate need. Uh, and a high school kid would even be further, although you could argue that a high school kid may not necessarily have to have to wait for his own concern. Uh, but I'm not going to get off into a, a long tangent about this, but you know, the vaccine, I think the doses that they thought they could deliver in the first 365 days has already been cut in half. Uh, it's just going to be an interesting supply chain issue. And I don't think too many uh, decisions will be based off uh, hoping that the vaccine can be there maybe six weeks earlier than it would have otherwise. Uh, you're, you're looking at a maybe a little bit larger timetable when it comes to that. So, No doubt. Uh, so, sorry, go ahead. No, nope. I don't have anything else. Uh, who do we have next? Let's see. Uh, Lucas asked us a question, and that is uh, no question, really. Just a quote-unquote five-year rebuild and the product on the field has been pretty clear to me. Just want to say thank you for giving me something to listen to while prepping my smoker, getting other work done around the house. Uh, Lucas, that's uh, if you're prepping your smoker, you're a, a man after the, uh, the hearts of the two hosts on this podcast. I can... I could tell you that much. Thank you for the kind words. Um, as we move into Lee's question here, we will take a ever so brief pause. Thank our friends at Congruity. Congruity is experiencing your business optimized. Congruity can help you on a number of fronts, whether it be uh, HR, uh, payroll, um, or many other facets to allow you to be as competitive as possible in today's marketplace. By the way, I did put something on the smoker the other day. It was a uh, hatch chili rubbed pork butt. Dude, that was that was fun. That was nuts. So whether you want to make your business better, whether you want to talk to them about smoking meat, uh, Congruity is headquartered, uh, an office in Florida and headquartered in uh, barbecue capital of the world up there in uh, eastern North Carolina. So uh, reach out to our friends, Matt Lewis, 844-247-4100. Again, 844-247-4100 or Knowles at congruityhr.com. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and take Lee's question. With the current roster continuously overturning on a weekly, sometimes daily basis, uh, what is the outlook for next season? Is the roster turnover more to do with the coaching staff telling some of these players they're better off elsewhere, COVID-related, or do guys just not want to be at FSU anymore or one thing or the other? Also, what chance do you give FSU to, give Alt to get Altmaier back? Uh, well, I'll take these kind of in order. Um, what is the outlook for next season? I, I think it's better than, than the outlook for this season uh, based on this season's results and, and which, of the, which of your star players actually played in games this year. Um, I think next season will be better because they're going to have an actual offseason, I, I hope, unless this COVID thing continues. And I think that's going to be a, a, a pretty big deal. Uh, is the roster turnover more to do with the coaching staff telling some of these players they're better off elsewhere, COVID-related? So for some, it like so, some of the opt-outs are legitimately COVID-related. Some of these players have had family members, you know, fall seriously ill due to COVID. I, I don't think anybody that they like a direct family member has died, but but I don't want to attest to that. I, just, I haven't heard of that. But certainly some have had you know serious COVID complications. Uh, some have been told they'd be better off elsewhere. I expect you're going to see more guys after the year leave because they they've been told they'll be better off elsewhere. Um, some just don't want to be at Florida state anymore. Don't get along with the coaching staff. I think that's, you know, particularly true with some of the defensive players who, who don't like the defensive coaching staff. Uh, and I think some just realize that they have better opportunities elsewhere. And as I, as I said, a couple of episodes ago, like you really can't lose a team that you never had. And I'm not convinced that Norvell had a lot of these players on board. I, I, I don't think that the Zoom stuff was very effective for them, um, not for lack of trying, but it just it wasn't effective. It didn't work. And I don't think he, got, he had a lot of these guys on board. And so if you're not on board at the start, you're probably not going to be on board when, when the team goes to an eight. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's an issue there. 
what chance do you give FSU to get Altmaier back? Uh, it's recruiting, so I never say zero. I'll, I'll say 1%. He's, he's making his decision. Uh, by the time this podcast is posted, he will, he will have publicly up. declared somewhere else. Uh, so, yeah, 1% is appropriate. Yeah. Uh, what do we – oh, we got, we got time for a couple more here. You want to go uh, – you want to go with Andrew? Yeah, Andrew asked with, uh, with Woodby leaving, who do you think is the biggest five-star bust in Florida State history? I'd probably go with Fred Rouse due to hype and the way that he went out. It's got to be Fred Rouse. I mean, there. This is the Fred Rouse question. You know, when when you are uh, a five star prospect and maybe the top wide receiver in the country, and your time ends while you're uh, robbing a teammate, and you happen to leave your wide receiver gloves at the scene of the crime, uh, I don't know. I hope I don't ever find out of any other series of events that can top that one. I'll put it that way. Uh, Fred Rouse. The tight end at Alcoa, I don't know if he was a bust. It just didn't work out. The the Warren kid back in the day. Didn't his mom uh, get sick? Uh, yeah, he had some he had some family issues. There were but when it flashed with that kid, God, it flashed. Wish that would have worked out. Um I'm looking down looking down the list of the all time top recruits. Uh Callahan Bright, but you know, he, never actually got on campus. He never made it. He was playing at well, I think we've talked about this before, but he ended up playing at NIAA college football, which had to be incredible to see him play. If he, on the few moments where he did give a damn, that was uh, probably a bit of a mismatch. I'll put it that way. Deshaun Platt also never made it then because of the whole, the whole uh, standardized test thing, but but he he was he was nasty, top twenty player in the country. Um, do you remember Eric Shelton? This is a kid out of Louisville. Yeah, yeah. I do, uh, but I I think Rouse is the answer just due to how it went down. You're you're, you're exactly right. I, I think that has to be the the answer. Um, from recent years, I I, I think Woodby played a whole lot of snaps. He graduated. Yeah, um, I wouldn't label Woodby. Yeah, a bust. No. I mean, certainly you know not reflective of a five star player. Um, but yeah, that happens. That happens. Um, I think that's yeah. I, I I think Fred Rouse has to be the answer. Um, LeBorn obviously is a five star who I think you could probably say was a bust, but he also got hurt. You know, so I forgot he was a five star prospect. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, Marat says, uh, "Can you invite new Seminole Booster CEO to your podcast and interview him, please?" Yeah, we can do that. I don't think it'll be in the immediate future, uh, Barat, and we certainly appreciate your questions. And uh, you've given us a lot of good feedback on the boosters in general uh, recently. But uh, yeah, we may that may be a first of 2021 thing. Um, but we'll reach out. We certainly have a, a decent relationship with uh, some of the people underneath him, but uh, have never spoken with, with Mr. Alford uh, directly. Kind of want to like let him get his feet wet a little bit. You know, he's been uh, he's been touring a decent amount. Uh, I know he's been going around trying to establish relationships. It would be, you know, that may be a uh, that may be a February or March thing. Right. Uh, so we'll, we'll yeah, certainly he, follow he took up the that. job during the pandemic, like yeah. like, like mid, mid July. So he was it, we were already in the pandemic. So he his entire time has been Zoom. I mean, I, I know there's been some face to face meetings, but mm -hmm. yeah, Um I'm certainly unopposed to that. We, we, we could give that a shot. Uh, and then Eric has two questions. The first one is basically comparing uh, Altmaier uh, to Purdy, which which we did uh, earlier in the show. Uh, and then two, he says, uh, when Norvell took over at Memphis, they were coming off uh, a couple pretty good years by their standards. Looking back, what can we look uh, to from uh, his time there that should give us confidence? He's up to the hype uh, or the, up to, excuse me, let me read this over. Looking back, what can we look to from his time there that should give us confidence he's up to the type of rebuild he's facing at, at FSU? Thanks for all you do, Eric. Well, I, I think that he signed a decent number of players at Memphis who turned out to be pretty good players. 
Memphis was not winning, you know, conference titles. Were not were, they were not going to BCS bowl games when when he took over, uh, and legitimately he took them from one level to another level that I'm not convinced Justin Fuente was was going to take them to. Fuente did a nice job on on the rebuild at Memphis, but uh, I'm not really sure that he was going to get them, you know, to that next level and. Memphis also had an NFL quarterback in Paxton Lynch when Fuente was there, whereas Mike did not. I mean, nobody thinks Brady White's going to be an NFL guy. I I don't think. Uh, So I would say that the level of play that he elevated Memphis uh, from one level to the next uh, would be, would be one thing. And also the the way that his former players at Memphis speak about him, they, they all, they all love the guy and, and think that he's really, you know, really the right guy for the job. You wouldn't get hired for the FSU job if you don't have a track record of success. And I, I think there's some broader commentary we can make on this, by the way. Uh, what what box did Jim Harbaugh not check for the Michigan job? What box did Tom Herman not check for the Texas job? I, I, I've been looking at this recently, and... I think it underscores just how much of a crapshoot even the coaches who fit extremely well are. All right. And this kind of is also commentary on the Willie thing. So Jim Harbaugh took the San Diego job, which is like kind of a dead end job. It's a D2. Takes them, they win. Goes to Stanford. One of the worst football programs in my lifetime up until the point he got there takes them they win Jim then he goes he leaves he goes to the 49ers cross town they win okay now they almost won a damn Super Bowl they, they did win the NFC title he lost to what his, his brother in the Super Bowl I think it was the the 49ers Ravens here so I mean that's that's a pretty damn good track record the guy's a really good recruiter he has a, a good record of hiring assistant coaches he goes to Michigan, where he's the native son. Certainly, if somebody understands that program, it's Jim Harbaugh. I mean, he played for him. He, you know, he's very tied in with, with all their people. And yet, now their fans want to run him out of town, right? Like you can't make a better hire on paper for Michigan than Jim freaking Harbaugh. Mm-hmm. The the guy that they hire next will not be a better hire resume and on paper wise than Harbaugh will. Let's go to Tom Herman. National Championship Offensive Coordinator for Urban Meyer. Excellent recruiter. Takes over Houston. Slays a couple slays a couple Giants. You know, w- wins a conference title. Recruits his ass off of Houston at a level that, that you just don't do at the G5 level. Oh, well, does he have any connections to Texas other than, than coaching in Houston? Oh, yeah, he does. He was an assistant for Mac Brown during the national title years. The Literally the best years that Texas has had in the last 40. So he understands that Texas culture at least more than a coach who's never never coached at Texas would have. Young, energetic guy, has a good staff he's going to bring with him. Hadn't worked out, right? That's the, that's the thing I, w- I want to demonstrate here is that coaching searches and coaching hires are a lot less certain than you, than you want to make them out to be. Not than you, but just than, than everybody who covers college football. I know I'm Barton and Bud. We're starting to do something now called uh, No Doubt, Okay, Fine, and I Don't Get It as our three ways to grade coaching hires. Because I don't I don't like this like A, B, C, D stuff. There, there's no way that we have the certainty and the accuracy to be able to do that. You know? I give it a B minus. Yeah, no. Yeah, uh, yeah no, that's a good way of doing it. I mean, it's the Tom Herman thing, uh, both of them are, you know, you would think are, are more or less hand in glove type fits. And obviously, you know, there was a time where it looked like Michigan was destined to win a national championship with Harbaugh as far as how he came in, he initially recruited. And uh, other than that, it's more or less been a failure to to launch. And uh, Herman, I don't know, man. Sometimes I think these guys are just not quite ready for the job when you think they're ready for the job. And, um, lack of maturity, just uh, understanding as to how things work. You know, like I know it's simple and sophomoric, but like m- the idea of Herman at Texas to me will forever be this guy flicking off the Longhorn network while he's sitting in his recruiting room. I mean, like, 
Right. Buddy, what are you doing? Oh, I, I can understand you didn't necessarily think that camera was, was live, but uh, you know, you literally double birding the fan base is uh, not a great look. And so I think Herman may ultimately be successful. I just think he's going to have to have a little bit more maturity to him when, when that success comes and uh, was that doesn't look as though it's going to happen at Texas. That's my question is like, what was that foreseeable? You know, no. I, no, I don't no, think I don't. it was like, like, some people said he, you know, like, like he was, he had some antics at Houston, but those were like antics to hype up his players, and his guys absolutely loved him. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, they didn't play as hard a, for the next guy. And this is not something that you can judge or grade, but it's a, it's a really different thing taking over a locker room and being able to convince kids that, you know, they're the underdog and people don't respect them, and then you move to a program where you're recruiting, you know, uh, the kids that are three, four, or five best kids in the in the country at their position, and selling those kids that they're an underdog and disrespected and everything else is a hell of a bigger challenge. Um, so you, you really do have to kind of pivot from a uh, job, stepping stone job to premier job and how you approach the kids, manage the roster, et cetera, et cetera. No doubt. All right. Uh, we will thank our friends at Madison Social. They have made uh, everything that we do possible. Sponsors with us since day one. Uh, they've got the Reuben sandwich that we always love to talk about. But we'll point your uh, your attention to the New Bloods t-shirt that they're doing. Uh, really one of my favorite things that they've done recently. Uh, they're working with, uh, with Trent Forrest on it. A portion of the proceeds go to the uh, Omega Lamplighters uh, organization, which is very impressive in its own right, but it's a great looking shirt. Very much kind of captures the spirit of the basketball program that's been so successful. Um, everything that they do is great, uh, whether it be a hamburger, a t-shirt, or a Nolcast Bloody Mary, but would encourage you to go look at that. You can find it at madisonsocial.com backslash new dash bloods. Again, madisonsocial.com backslash new dash bloods. All right. Uh, do we have any more this week? I don't think uh, I don't see anything else on the sheet here. Uh, so unless I'm otherwise mistaken, this will probably bring about this episode of the Nolcast to close. <laughs>